Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, June 23rd, we are studying James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. What part of the body wields the greatest power? One of the smallest members, St. James tells us, the tongue, particularly as it is used for help or for harm by the teachers of the church. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Appold. Pastor Appold serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appold, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Looking forward to it. So we're in James chapter 3 this morning. Lots of stuff in the book of James. Sometimes it, it's not always in a sequential order, as you might get from St. Paul. James tends to lay out stuff at the very beginning and then revisit topics throughout the epistle. What sure. do we need to know, background-wise, context-wise, going into this text for today? Yeah, I think there you might be able to to discern something of a of a pattern here or of a, a sequence. So, um, chapter two is maybe the the most famous section of James. You know, you get this whole discussion about faith and works, and you get the um, you know the great verse, "Faith without works is dead." Um, and now I think so to to sort of maybe tie a, a connection on for our listeners. I don't know. Um, you, you could look in commentaries and find maybe some different um, logical connections, but I think a good one for us just to see the the flow of the epistle. Um, if we just discussed faith and works, the question might arise, well, where does that faith come from, right? This is a good Lutheran question. Um, how does, how is that faith um, created? How is it engendered? And that comes through the preaching of the Word of God. And so I think in this section, chapter 3, um, we're going to talk about the tongue kind of in general, speaking and the power of words. Um, but if you think especially of life in the church, um, the, the, the preachers, the teachers of the church um, are the ones who use their tongues, um, who work with words, if you will, to um, create and then to, to nurture faith. So that, that matter of faith that James has talked about is active in works in chapter 2. Where does that faith come from? It comes from the Word yeah. of God, given by teachers in the Church. And I think that's a helpful reminder as we look into this text today, that we would give that specific application before the broader application, that we're not only talking about speech in general, but we are going to be looking more particularly at how the words, particularly the Word of God, is spoken or not spoken to help or harm within the Church. That particular focus is going to be needed for us. And I, I think it's there in James, too. I mean, he's—James, I should say James also, he's brought up the Word of God back in chapter 1, in 118, which is sure. a part of his—really, the heart of his epistle. He's talked about how it is the Word of Truth— that God used to bring us forth as a first fruits of his creatures. And so he, it's like he's revisiting that topic here again. Okay, let's talk about that word and how it's spoken and taught 
What's the benefit and particularly what's going to be the harm when it's not taught correctly in this section? Yep. Yeah. And I, I mean, preaching is uh, obviously pastors, um, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about preaching and um, I don't know how many books you have on your shelf there, Tim, that are about homiletics and the craft of, you know, delivering a sermon. Um, but it's a concern. It's not just a pastor issue, right? So when James talks about teachers and the importance of um, of the tongue, um, this is a concern for every Christian. And I think everyone um, who, if you've ever heard a sermon, <laughs> right, you have an interest in this stuff. Hmm. And um, our people want to hear good preaching. Um, and so a little time, hopefully today, we can discuss a little bit, you know, the, the value of preaching. Why is it that questions like, why, you know, why, do, why does God um, work faith through preaching? Uh, you think of the means of grace, baptism, um, the word of God written, but also preached. And then the Lord's Supper will we'll really focus in on this preaching that, that at the heart of the church's life is the preaching of God's word. Why, why is that? And what, what does that, um, what does that do for us? Mm, I guess yeah. those, those are the questions we want to look at. Yeah. And, and just briefly before we, before we leave that, when well, you're talking about this isn't just a pastor issue, you know, it brings to mind the, the small catechism, the first petition where Luther talks about how God's name is kept holy. And, and he talks about that God's name is holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God also lead holy lives according to it. So that that's yep. not just a pastor issue. That is a, a, a prayer of importance for every Christian, pastor and parishioner alike, that, that God's word would be taught correctly among us so that we would all lead holy lives according to it. This is this is for all Christians, not just preachers. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So let's go ahead and read the text. We're in James chapter 3 beginning at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. That is the text for today, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. So James brings up the topic of teachers first. That, that really is the, the guiding focus, at least through the first part of the text. And that 
is what gets him into talking about the tongue is this matter of right. teachers. So uh, why is why is James bringing up teachers? What's the impact of teachers on the church? Yeah, the, um, so we, we mentioned this a little before. This is where seeing the context may be helpful, or it, it might just be he wanted to say something about teachers. Um, but the purpose of teachers and teaching is always for um, the, the strengthening of faith, right? So in the Augsburg Confession, you have this same sequence where I think it's Article 4, right, talks about justifying faith. And then Article 5 says, um, in order to establish this faith, God has instituted the office of, of preaching. Um, so there, those, these two things always go together, faith and preaching, faith and preaching. And so the, the function of teachers is really what's under view here. And he just kind of assumes this, um, I guess we would say, an office. It seems that there is already at the time of James, and we would recognize this, right, that Jesus established the apostles, and wherever the apostles went, um, you can find this in Paul's missionary journeys in the book of Acts. He's always ordaining men um, to be, I believe the word there is elders, right? Um, and and I think it's, is it Timothy or Titus where he charges them to uh, to raise up elders for the congregations? Right. Um, so my, my point in all that is just there is this office going all the way back to Jesus and the apostles, the office of pastor or here he just uses teacher mm -hmm. and that that may be um probably some of your your previous guests have talked about the um the jewish nature the hebraic roots i guess of of james um it may be that we're he's kind of carrying over the terminology um, of like rabbi right mm -hmm. so jesus was often called teacher um Trinity Sun. We just had Trinity Sunday here recently, and when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he calls him Rabbi, which is Aramaic, I think, for teacher. Right. So um, it seems to be that James has this office in view, and he says, you know, not everyone should become a teacher, and there there's a couple of reasons why he might mention that. One is just for the sake of of good order, right? If you've got a hundred uh, people in the congregation and 75 are teachers. You've got more, right? More teachers than, than hearers, but that's not where he goes. He goes to this matter of, of judgment. And so he's, he's basically uh, enforcing the idea of um, there is a, there is an expectation that those who are teachers are going to be held accountable for their words and so then he's going to get into all the, the way that words um, can steer the boat. You know, he uses these great images, this great imagery of the, the rudder of the ship and so on. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so a couple a couple of thoughts. Yeah, I think it's, it's good to see here that, that office that is established by our Lord Jesus Christ, the office of the holy ministry, as, as we would sometimes say it. And, and this would be just another word that the, the New Testament uses for that office. You mentioned... Elder is one that we see. Uh, overseer is another one. And teacher here, this is that, that same office established by Jesus for the sake of preaching and giving that justifying faith to sinners. That's that's what it's there for. And that's the office that James is talking about. And and two, you know, with with James likely writing earlier than any of Paul's epistles, it's it's worth our while to see that, that already this office is being used within the church, it's expected, and it's judged according to a greater 
strictness. That's the warning that James attaches mm -hmm. to this office here. As you said, it's not just a matter of good order that there's not a lot of teachers, but, but rather there's some responsibility that comes with this office, then that's going to be the, the judgment with the greater strictness. Take us into that. Yeah, the when, whenever you get to judgment passages, I think um, it's good to, <laughs> to kind of take a step back and reinforce this idea. God is, um, you, you look at the the places that are um, of the, the scriptural teachings that are kind of under attack at any given point. I think one of the ones that's that we see in our time as being um, coming under attack is both God as creator um, and then also on the flip side, God as judge. Mm. And so James um, James is really focusing in here on, I think the we're talking about final judgment here, um, that on the day of judgment, teachers um, who are in this position of authority are also going to be held responsible, accountable. Those are good synonymous words here um, for what they said. And this, this isn't to say that, you know, if you're not a teacher, you can say whatever you want <laughs> as if, you know, you're going to get away with it or something. But I think what, what his point is, um, is God does expect those who hold the office to, you know, to, um, to live up to the calling that they have. So, so a good way to think of this, any position of authority um, always has to have this um, accountability or this mm -hmm. responsibility, because if, if you if you just emphasize the one thing, right? Oh, the, the authority of whatever the office is, um, whether it's the office of husband or father or pastor or um, governor or whatever it is, um, you you can get this idea that these offices exist for themselves, right? Um, it's an it's an honorable thing. And people desire honor, right? That's good. But we want to also balance that out with the, it's not just a matter of, hey, I'm the teacher here. You all have to listen to me, right? It's not a matter of trying to gain um, personal honor, but the office has this heavy responsibility. And that's certainly comes through clearly in how James talks here. Yeah, th with the authority comes the accountability. Yeah. And I think that the judge with greater strictness is not only speaking in an eternal sense of, of a final judgment, but also even here and now, that the words that a preacher or a teacher speaks publicly will be scrutinized and ought to stand up sure. to that scrutiny. And that, I mean, I know that's that's an uncomfortable thing, just speaking as, as a pastor, that's an uncomfortable thing. You know, when you, like when you preach at a, say, a Winkle, when you've got your brother pastors there and you're preaching to them, and like, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, like, what what are yeah, they, I'm what are they thinking, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but, but, I, but it's good for us, or, or even just the concept of of circuit visitors, as we have it in the Missouri Synod, or of, of a district president as an overseer of, of the doctrine, that that we would be held accountable, and that's not that's not maybe comfortable. It's not what what we might desire, but it is what we need. That that we would let our words stand up to the test. James has used that language previously about tests that show what's genuine. The mm -hmm. words of a teacher ought to stand up to a test to show what is genuine, so that and that a good teacher, a faithful teacher, would let any dross or impurity in his teaching. He wants that burned away. That that's what the spirit would work yeah. in in him that desire. Absolutely, I think also too here when you um, so 
uh, this the the teacher and his teaching are being singled out for this greater judgment. Um, I, I don't know if you if you read that and think this way, Tim. Some people might say, "Well, that seems unfair." You know, it's overly harsh or something on the teacher. Um, but when God when God gives a command or there's a threat, I think a, a good way to see this is he, it's something very important to him, right? So if I'm thinking of my kids. Um, when I when I threaten to punish them for something, um, if it's if it's a an in, if it's an insignificant thing, um, like let's say they're you know they're playing Legos, and I say you just you cannot use green Legos. If you use green Legos, you're in big trouble. You know that that makes no sense, right? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> if it's something like um, you know you can't talk to your mom that way or you can't be disrespectful to um to me like this um that that actually is worthy of a more severe kind of threat or warning because it it really matters and so i think whenever we have a passage um where god is attaching a threat to a particular action that should kind of blink out to us you know in in bright neon lights this is really crucial mm-hmm. so think about the, think of it here um, what is what is God? Uh, what is He wanting to safeguard, to protect with an, with utmost care? It's the teaching that is going on in the church, and why does He want to protect that? Well, because of all of the the positive things that come from good teaching, and all the negative ones that come from bad teaching. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, it's because it's not the matter of right teaching is not we're not concerned with right teaching just for the sake of being right we're concerned with right teaching for the sake of those who would hear and and yeah. believe i mean as you as you said earlier in the augsburg confession with the way article 4 concerning justification that that free salvation given by grace through faith in jesus christ well how is that faith come article 5 it's through the preaching and, and that's why we're concerned about right teaching it's is not just for ourselves or for the sake of of we're right and you're wrong it it's a matter of people receiving jesus christ crucified and risen for them in that true faith and that's i mean i even that too why does god care to why does he care about the teaching because he cares about sinners because he wants to bring sinners to faith in his son jesus christ yeah yeah the delivery of the gifts matters right so <laughs> i'm sure a lot of people have uh during the the whole coronavirus stuff they've been uh, ordering things and and getting stuff delivered to the house more and more right um and so just think if if there really was no if ups or fedex or the the postal service you know if they didn't really care all that much it'd be really frustrating wouldn't it you know i thought i was supposed to get this on tuesday at three o'clock but it doesn't come until saturday at five you know we would be up in arms you know we'd be sending in um you know whatever kind of communication we could to get them to pay attention to this and uh you think of preaching as that delivery it's the mechanism by which god delivers christ's gifts christ's benefits to the people and so we do we do want to take it very seriously as pastors and also um, as as listeners as hearers, mm, right? And even I mean, to, with that the delivery metaphor there that you you brought out, you know, imagine imagine that the the postal service didn't tell you anything about their procedures to make sure that that how they were, you know, I mean, every company these days yeah. it seems is telling you how they're avoiding the threat of the pandemic. Well, if we're going to take it that seriously with our mail being delivered. 
shouldn't we take it that seriously when it comes to God's word being delivered? You know, I mean, if, if we're going to spend yeah. all this time c- caring about that, and we should, then shouldn't we spend the same amount of care and concern on, on having right teaching, true doctrine, the life-giving word of the truth, as James has said, that's going to bring you forth as the first fruits of God's creatures. Of, of course we're going to care about right teaching, and particularly the teacher, and as you said, the, the hearer as well. They go hand in hand. Now, I think I think part of maybe the reason, and we're, we've kind of danced around it, this matter of, of right teaching and, and having true doctrine that such a thing even exists is a point of contention, it seems, these days. If, if you come along and say, yeah. I'm a Lutheran, and I'm a Lutheran pastor, because I believe that what Lutherans teach is true, period, people look at you <laughs> and say, well, you're, you're arrogant, you're mean, yeah. how could you say yeah. that, Pastor? And even James talks about, I mean, he uses this, you know, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. And that, we say, oh, how could you be perfect? What's... What are we talking about here, Pastor Appold? Yeah, yeah. I think anytime we see perfection, um, sort of the Lutheran hackles come up, you know, and you say, "Well, we can't really ever be perfect um, in in this world," and and that's true. I mean, the sinful flesh always um, sticks closely to us. So what I would what I would say here is, he doesn't mean um, that that the teacher can be morally perfect, right? It's it's not a, a question of this man would be absolutely sinless, but his teaching can be can actually be true. And um, this is this really is something that that I often hear and, and that I also think about a lot. Um, it's one thing to say that that the Bible is the word of God and that it is true. Right. And that's a good thing. We want to confess that 100 percent. Right. It's the inspired, inerrant word of God. Um, but if the Bible is true. Then it also ha- can can and should be taught truly, purely, rightly, okay? And if it can be taught rightly, it can also be taught wrongly. And so we don't want to get into, um, you know, into the, the totally gray world where everything is just your opinion or that's just in your interpretation. I mean, it is true and it's sad that there are all kinds of divisions within the church and there's all kinds of um, different teachings about things. And so, so in uh, what I think has happened for many, for many Christians is that they see this plethora of opinions, the plethora of interpretations, and say, well, they can't all be right, um, but they can't all be wrong. Maybe they're just all different shades of, of being right. It's kind of like truth is a spectrum, right? And so some things are truthier than other things, but no one really has it all figured out. <laughs> and we would want to say, well, actually, there is a standard. God's word is true. And so the teaching, um, it's not just a spectrum. It's either this is true teaching or it's false. Mm, right, right. Yeah. And and I think part of the the struggle with this is that when you when you stand up and say this is true people attach that as as if it's some sort of self-importance on your part whereas rather it, it's really more of a, a proclamation and a confession of the power of the word that even through a sinful preacher God's word can be taught purely and truly without error that that's not saying so much about the preacher as it is about the power of God's word that it's so powerful that even when it is spoken by a sinful man it's still true 
and it's still life-giving and saving, not because of the man speaking it, but because yeah. of the word itself. Yeah, the, and after, I think in your next, the next section uh, in James is going to talk about um, the, the wisdom that comes down from above, right? And so I'm sure you're going to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit there, but the Spirit who inspired Scripture also is going to see to it that Scripture is taught truly. Um, now, that doesn't mean I, I can't just sit back all week long and then on Sunday morning say, well, I know whatever comes out of my mouth is going to be guided by the Holy Spirit. I mean, <laughs> the Spirit expects us and demands of us that we actually put some thought and energy and prayer into our, our sermon preparation in advance. Um, but my, my point here, Tim, is just seeing the Spirit's inspiration of Scripture and also his work in the teaching of the church, the preaching of the church, um, I think that helps to kind of get us away from, hey, I'm, I'm such a great teacher, I'm such a wonderful um, intellect, you all should listen to me because I'm right. Um, that's not what we ever aim to do. What we aim to say is God's word is true, and I want you to, to have confidence in what you're being taught. And so we always want to be pointing people back to scripture and seeing how our teaching uh, is, is backed by scripture and also how it has been taught through the history of the church. You know, we're not making, we're not making up our own new teachings as Lutherans. We're just, we're delivering what has always been uh, delivered to God's people. And, and that I think is the true humility is to, to, as a teacher, to stand out of the way, let the word do the talking and let the word be true rather than the arrogance that would say, well, yes, God says this, but we can't know what he means, or, or he was unclear, or we don't know what yeah. he says. That's That, I think, is the real arrogance, is when we would look at a very clear passage of God's Word and say, somehow, either God didn't mean it or we can't understand what he says. Humility, rather, is just to let what God said stand true. Absolutely. With that, we're going to take our break here on Sharper Iron. You're listening to us here on Worldwide KFUO, and we will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, June 23rd, and we are looking at James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, with Pastor David Appold. He's the pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appold, prior to the break, we looked at verses 1 and 2, and then, as, as James often does in this short little epistle, he starts preaching with very vivid images. You're talking about 
homiletics books earlier, and, and James just has some of the, the most fantastic images throughout this epistle, and it's no no different here in verse verses 3 and following. Now, he starts by giving us some positive images here and in verses 3 and following. So so take us into to these, and, and generally I think we're still probably talking primarily about speaking in the church. He's going to broaden that a bit later. Yeah, so he, he talks about, um, the idea is you've got this small part of your body, the tongue, that has, that exerts a, um, a huge impact um, on the rest of, you know, the, the world around you. So just think of, of the size of your, your own tongue compared to the rest of your body. And then it has kind of a disproportionate effect because your words um, have a, a very powerful impact, right? It's by your words that you make uh, an imp- That's how you, you touch other people's lives. Of course, you can actually physically touch them too, but um, words, um, just think of, of how as humans we are created as rational um, beings, rational creatures. And so words are an important part of, of who we are. Um, now in the church, that's true about the the preaching and teaching of the church. I mean, think of in your, um, in your church, Tim, the pulpit, um, does have, and it's symbolically, um, it has a, a prominent position, I'm sure in the church. And that communicates through the architecture that it's from this spot that the word of God is coming out into our, into our life and is guiding then the congregation as a whole. So James, I think has some great ways of depicting that you've got a the bit that's in the the mouth of a horse you know it's a it's a very small um little piece of metal that goes into the horse's mouth and it can control but with that bit um the rider can actually control this powerful animal um and pull him one way or another Mm. same thing um except on an even bigger scale with the rudder of the ship right so a huge think of a tall ship um, you know, and the rudder is a very small piece of the boat, um, but one little change in the rudder and the whole ship turns. Um, and I, th- I think you could you could see some of those images as um, certainly being applied to the church. Um, the, the one especially of the boat, the, ch- the church as the boat. We have a, a stained glass uh, in the back of our sanctuary. Um, as people are going out, the last thing that they see if they're looking up is this this ship sailing on the, the stormy waters. And it says right underneath there, it says the church. Okay, So this is a depiction of the church that is often um, used and utilized in Christian art is this boat going through um, the waves of this world into eternal life and it's the rudder of that boat um the the preaching of the church that's guiding it through hmm. yeah i i think that's a, a helpful image to keep in mind the the pulpit as the the rudder of the ship the the bit that guides the horse and it's one that i think sometimes we might forget because the preaching in the church isn't always the flashiest thing that happens within the church. There are other things that that maybe sure. happen outside the church walls, uh, acts of mercy, and I don't mean to to degrade those by any means, but to to remember that it is the preaching of the church that that is the central act, the gifts of God being delivered to His people, and without that, well, I mean, the church is a a rudderless ship, or or it's got a different rudder. 
And if we've got a different rudder other than the word of God, where is that going to take the ship? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you could think of uh, trying to, you could try to steer a boat with other things, right? You could use the oars um, to, to, to turn the boat. Um, and if you're in a small canoe, that, that actually works pretty well. But if you're in a big ship um, and you try to just, you know, turn the boat with one of those oars on the side, um, it's not really going to work well, is it? And that's not really what the oar is designed to do. And so that, that may be a helpful way to get at this. Um, we, we don't pit you know, the works of mercy mm-hmm. or the fellowship of the, the friendship and the fellowship of the congregation against the preaching of God's word. But these things all, everything that the church does has its place. And we don't want to um, put things, uh, you know, we don't want to take an oar and try to use it as the rudder. We want to let the rudder be the rudder. You know, let, let, the, let the preaching and teaching of God's word be the thing that is guiding the ship and, and setting the course Um, Because otherwise you're going to get, you know, you're going to be sort of aimless. Right. And and certainly that teaching and preaching can happen in places besides the pulpit, particularly on Sunday morning. Right. I mean, there's there's plenty of other ways that that word is proclaimed to the congregation in the world. So it's not just the pulpit, but that proclamation of the word, that, that simple use of the tongue is central to the church's life, and you you do see that within church architecture, and and also I mean you know just to to add that that word is also you know combined with stuff in the sacraments, and so that the the centrality of baptism and the Lord's Supper we're not denying that by any means, but but to recognize just the great power of this very small act of of preaching. I mean I think of um, it's in Acts, so was it seventeen where where people are, are saying that that Paul's preaching has Turn the world upside down. I mean, what what a what an amazing sure. thing that just this word of Christ crucified and risen that is has completely changed everything. That small member, the tongue, has had this great effect. And now now there, I mean, so far I think we've primarily been talking about the great effect that it has for good and in the guiding of the church. But James is also going to give us the negative images, and it's. Boy, it's, I mean, reading through it again at the beginning of the, of the show, it's like, wow, this is strong yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, you, again, you get these great images. The, the primary one, it, it seems, is, is the fire that, that is talked about. And he's going to turn the image negative, the, the, the negative things that happen when the tongue is misused. And it does seem that he starts to speak more broadly than the teaching in the church, but he's now addressing, and we don't want to lose that by any means, but he's also addressing our speech in general and the negative effects that our speech can have in any aspect of yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, um, it's good to see the, the connection. The reason I really wanted to emphasize with you teachers and teaching, um, is because that's, you know, otherwise you have just like verse one and two kind of off by itself. And then he gets on to just general, um, talk, the use of, of um, words and speaking. So we want to see a unified um, connection between why does he go from talking about teachers now to talking about the tongue? Well, oh, because teachers teach. And to do that, they use words. But now I, I think you're right to see there. I think he's moving from specifics to more general, if you want to think of it that way. So um, he's been talking about teachers and their teaching, um, the preaching of the church. And now we're going to think that's still in view, but he's also going to expand on that a little bit. And now we're just considering 
um, words and how a person's words, whether you're a teacher or not, how your words um, impact the world around you. And our world is full of, we, we could even in our, in our time, we could connect not just the, the words that my tongue speaks, but also the words that my fingers type. I mean, with all of the social media outlets, the world is full of people's words, isn't it? And you can see um, the forest set ablaze. If you just go on, if you just go online for 20 minutes, you'll, you'll find little forest fires here and there. Right. I mean, you don't, not even 20 minutes, maybe, maybe two. Yeah. If you're, if you're looking at well, the right I'm place. Slow. I have a, I have a slow connection. I don't have 5G <laughs> towers around okay. me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yet you're, you're right. I mean, so the, this use of, of language, and this is, this is one of those passages in the scriptures where, you know, there's that, that rhyme you, you probably learned as a, a child, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I, I honestly, I don't know who, who, I have, I should look up sometime where that statement comes from, because it's the life of me. I I can't see a place where it's true, and and certainly, <laughs> I mean, certainly yeah. James can't see the place that is true. The the tongue, for all the good that it can do, does all kinds of of evil. Not just in, I mean, not not even I think just in in spiritual ways, but in very physical ways. That the the tongue, it just well. James James says it, you know, it's it's a fire. It sets things on fire digitally, physically, spiritually, all, all over the place. The tongue really causes harm when we don't control it. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think that, that that little saying, I think we wish that it were true. Mm. And so that's why we, we tell our kids, because we know it's not, right? So you want your kids to be, um, to not be super sensitive to every word, because you know, as a parent, you know, my, you're going to be, you're going to deal with, you know, people who, who speak harshly, you're going to have to deal with this your whole life. And you've got to develop a little bit of thick skin, um, just in order to live in this world, right? It's almost like you've got to put on some fireproofing, because people's words are going to be fiery all around you, um, your whole life. And, and you gotta, you gotta be kind of, you gotta, um, you know, steal your courage a little bit um, to to head out into the world. Mm, right. You know, I mean, as, as I reflect on on this passage concerning taming the tongue, that's the the language that James uses, and he even gives the example. So he he starts with the image of fire and the way that this. Well, it, it only takes a spark to get a fire going, right? I don't think yeah. that's what that song is about. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, but it's I mean, it's the image you got here in James. And then he, he brings up this matter, you know, look, any kind of animal you can think of, you, it can be tamed, and it has been tamed by mankind, but but who can tame the tongue? And I, I, think, I think one of the, perhaps the temptations is to, and I'm not saying we, we shouldn't say anything ever, but one of the temptations is to think, well, I, if I can craft this speech, whether it's what I say out loud or whether it's what I type on, on Facebook or, or say in a sermon, if I can just craft it correctly, then it will be heard correctly and it, it won't set this forest on fire. And again, there are lots of times where we do need to speak, and, and it's, it's right that we do, even with some of the negative reactions that might be out there, because sometimes that's not that's due to something else. But there are also times where where we ought to probably heed the advice or the word that James spoke earlier in his book concerning the tongue, where he said, be quick to hear and slow to speak. And sometimes yeah. the matter of taming the right. tongue is just 
shutting your mouth. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That was that verse was sort of echoing in my mind as we're talking here. The, um, you know, James, I think would would certainly want to inculcate a little bit of of silence. You think of of how prevalent words are, and and especially with social media, um, even going back to you know the days of. The, the printing press, the the amount of words that are now, it is so easy. And it's on the one hand, it's it's a good thing, right? Everyone is able to express themselves. That's, I don't think that, that any of us would say that that's bad. We don't want people to lose their voice. But at the same time, when there are so many words, um, the value of a word of, of, you know, of any word gets decreased, right? It's almost like there's so much noise that, um, that all of our voices kind of get drowned out in all the noise. Okay, so um, I've, I've often wondered if if the invention of Facebook and Twitter, I mean, it's there's certainly been some good that's come of it, but there, it's not like it's just this purely wonderful thing. And even the, the invention of the printing press, of course, I mean, when we talk about the Reformation, usually we're quick to say and, you know, look at what the printing press was able to do. We were able to get the news, get the message out much more quickly. That's that's good, of course. But there is a flip side to it. And so the uncontrolled um, speech that it's when it's just constantly spewing out, um, I think it's it's healthy and important for us to rec- recognize that it's there's there's a great danger to it and it can lead to all all kinds of problems it does in fact quite often right i mean you know you you put a for example you put a radio microphone in front of a pastor in smithville texas yeah. and and look what what sure. i mean it's it is very easy in these various forms of speech of getting our words out there to lose sight of the person that you're actually addressing that face to face speech and I think when it is face-to-face speech, there does tend to be, a, a, we are maybe able a little bit better to bridle our tongue when we're right in front of the person, because we know that person, and we're talking to that person. Another person, well, I mean, as, as James says, another person who's made in the likeness of God. And when I, in our age at least, when that speech is taken away from any sort of or as many physical realities, and I can't see that other person who's made in the likeness of God just like I am, it's much more difficult for me to, to tame my tongue. To, and I, I, my mouth just starts going and going, and pretty soon I'm saying things that are totally contrary to everything else that I say. I mean, James has this, this wonderful turn of phrase in, in verse 9, that we would use our tongue to praise God, but then we would also use it to curse our neighbor who has been made in God's image. And this is, this should not be. I mean, it's just a, it's a a powerfully convicting image. It is. Yeah. I mean, I think so much of what he's saying here in, in chapter three, especially the second half of the, of the section we're looking at Tim, is like this, it, it just goes right back into the eighth commandment so much. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So you think of the, the misuse of words, you know, whether it's slander or gossip um, telling, telling lies of any sort, um, even if you didn't intend them to be, you know, all that bad, or even just, um, saying things that don't need to be said. Well, it's the truth. So I should say it maybe, um, or maybe there's, there's a place for discretion. Um, I don't know if you've ever talked with a person who said, well, I'm, I'm, uh, 
how do how does it, how do I hear this all the time? I'm I just tell it like it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good to tell it like it is. You don't want to be a liar. But there are times where telling it like it is 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 not being done in order to build anybody up or to correct anybody, but it's done just to just because you can. Right. And so I, I think if, if our hearers want to sort of think through this a little bit more, the, the large catechism is just on the eighth commandment for our day and age where there is so much um, accusation. Um, there's so much kind of gotcha. Well, you said this once 15 years ago on Facebook or something like that. Um, if you want to read a great, um, you know, a great commentary on the power of words, Look at the eighth commandment in the large catechism because it's it's I mean he it's like that's what's going on in the world right now. You think of some of the the the, the high profile cases are like what happened with um, with Judge Kavanaugh was that two years ago, mm-hmm. um, and you see just how powerful any accusation is, whether it's true or not. Just the the voicing of an accusation, um, these words have huge huge impact on people's lives. Mm. So we, we want to be careful with our words. Right. And and the you know the thing about telling it like it is, I, I think the danger like you said, there's certainly a time and place for for someone to tell it like it is. But generally speaking, to go back to the conversation we started with concerning authority and accountability, those who tell it like it is are those whom God has given some kind of authority. So pastors have to tell it like it is when it comes to true doctrine and false doctrine. Parents have to tell their children, they have to tell it like it is Mm -hmm. to their children for the sake of of raising them in the truth and and learning to to recognize falsehood. But with that authority also comes extra accountability, which I think we often forget when it comes to, I'm going to open my mouth and tell it like it is, but I don't I don't like the extra accountability that would come with that office. And and oftentimes, as, as I think you're you're saying, when we start to tell it like it is, we're actually assuming an office for ourselves, an authority for ourselves, rather than being in that office or having that authority bestowed upon us by God as, say, a pastor, a parent, or, or other authority that God has established in the order that he's given. Yeah, absolutely. So, Pastor Apple, then this this text again. You know, you've got these these wonderful images, and and we see the connection. I think oftentimes, and James will often draw that connection out for us in in many of these images. But it it closes with a couple of images where maybe the the connection. Well, James doesn't give it to us, but I think that we can we can see it. Verses eleven and twelve, particularly, he brings up the image of a spring, and does it have fresh or salt water? He brings up the image of of a tree or a vine, and what's it it giving? What's James doing with those last two images? He's so he's just expanding on um, you. You brought this up a minute ago that the one mouth that you have can either praise God or it does this right. On the one hand, we use our mouths to praise God. Right. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. And on the other hand, at the same, you know, later in the same day, we use our that same mouth to, um, you know, to harm our neighbor with our words. And he says, this isn't the way it should be. And then he gives these these great images for this. You know, you've got a spring of water. So he's in, I think he's giving a, a very vivid description of what he just 
got done saying. So this sometimes people will talk about the book of James being kind of uh, similar to the book of Proverbs. And, and when you read Proverbs, you have all of these great um, sort of analogies drawn from the natural world, the created order. And sometimes Solomon or whoever um, the, the proverb giver is there will spell out exactly what he means. And other times he doesn't. It's just implicit. And I, I kind of like the ones that are implicit because they make you think a little bit more about it, right? What, why did he use that analogy? What, it, what is the metaphor here? And um, I think James at the end does that perfectly, right? So um, a, a spring of water doesn't give both fresh and salt water. And a vine doesn't produce, uh, or a grapevine doesn't produce olives, or figs, I guess it is, and a fig tree doesn't produce grapes. And so what's the implication? Okay, take it back to teachers and their teaching. Uh, a good teacher will give good, should give good teaching. And if you want to have good teaching, you have to make the source, you have to make the source pure first. Um, or, or you could apply it not necessarily just to the teachers of the church. You could think about your own, every person's mouth is like this source. And what's going to come out of the mouth? Is it going to be apes and figs or is it just going to be grapes? Right. Take it back to the so a couple of th- I mean, to connect it to that James one passage again about being slow to speak. Well, he starts there. Be quick to hear. Well, well, quick to hear what in this context, quick to hear to w- hear the word of God, it, because it is that word of God. That's the word of truth that God uses to bring us forth, as James says, as a first fruits of his creatures. That's what will make the source good. And I mean, that that takes us back to Jesus' words, which is another feature of this epistle with James, that he he's constantly echoing the words of Jesus. And Jesus talks about this, that if you want good fruit from a tree, you need to make the tree good first. So if, I mean, if you want yeah. Grapes have a grapevine. If you want figs, have a fig tree, and don't expect the other when you've got the the wrong plant. Similarly, here, what's the I mean, what's the final solution when it comes to taming the tongue? It starts with the listening to the word of God. That's what will fix the source. That's when good words, helpful words, true words, will start to flow forth from our tongues. Yeah, I think the um, that's that's a great connection with with Christ's own teaching. If you want, um, we we often say this about good works, right? Good works flow from uh, a good faith, and so if you want um, the good works to be pro- to be produced in the life of a Christian, um, that faith has to be nourished and strengthened first. You don't, um, you know, you don't command a withered up tree. Hey, make me some good apples now. Um, first, you got to go and you have to tend to the tree, right? You got to trim off the dead branches. You got to put on the fertilizer and water and all that. And then from a good tree come, comes the good fruit. Um, so if you think of, of this just in terms of the things we've been talking about, um, this is a great encouragement, I think, for, for prayer. Christians should pray that God would you know, purify my lips, purify my mind, purify my heart so that what comes out of it will be a, you know, pure water instead of this salty, acidic, um, you know, something that nobody would want to drink, mm. um, something that nobody would want to hear, something that doesn't 
actually produce anything good. Hmm. Right. I mean, James is, you know, he, he started this way when it, when it talked about wisdom at the very beginning, he says, look, if you don't have this wisdom to, to rejoice in your trials, ask God for it. The, the one who is the giver of all good gifts. And, and so here too, ask God for this taming of the tongue. Ask him for it. That, that's a, a very helpful reminder. Pastor Apple, with just, a, just about a minute here left on the morning, anything we missed or, or, or wrap things up for us as we, we've considered these verses from James? Yeah, I think it's, it's um, all the talk about the tongue here, I think in, invites us to, to just consider the importance of words um, and, and within the church to consider the importance of, of preaching and teaching. If you, ha- if you don't uh, do this regularly, I would encourage you to pray for your pastor, pray for his preaching, pray for his teaching. Um, if you are a pastor, pray for your own preaching and teaching and for your hearers. Um, I think the more that we, um, the more that we pay attention to this kind of stuff and, and really focus kind of laser focus in on that, that chief means of grace or this, um, the way that God delivers his gifts, it's going to produce good things for us. Um, I mean, I, I know in my own ministry and in my own congregation, I, I don't want to say I harp on this, but I want this to be something that people love preaching that, and, and not just because they, they want to listen to, you know, my wonderful eloquence, but we want to develop a love for the word of God. Um, we, we want to all love to hear it preached well, um, because that is the source of our life, right? That implanted word is what saves our souls. Pastor David Appold is the pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky, helping us this morning with James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Pastor Appold, thanks for being our guest today. Absolutely. The tongue, a small member in our body, wields great power, power for ill, when used to preach incorrectly, when used to hurt, but great power for good, when Listening first, we hear God's word and speak it back to him and speak that same truth in love to our neighbors. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.